Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the MCN Sport Podcast. I'm going to try and bring you a, a shorter bit of a podcast this week, aren't we, Sam? Yeah, the, um, there's not quite an awful lot going on yet. Um, obviously, Dakar Rally's going on and our boss, Michael Guy, our sports editor's down there. Um, I've been to the Ducati launch in Bologna this week. You've been in Spain hanging out with Sam and Alex Lowe's and Leon Haslam. Yep, catching up with them. Who They're out there training ahead of the 2018 season. But we're not quite ready to see Bakes on track yet. No. Uh, we're getting there. Unfortunately you will next not. Week. Yes, you will next yes, week. yes. Um, her after testing for World Superbike starts next week. I'm itching to get out there and just hear the noise of a motorbike. <laughs> yeah. And then I jump on a plane on a Friday evening to... Sepang for the first MotoGP test of the season. So we're, we're getting there. The season's nearly back. So fear not. You won't have to be <laughs> bored for much longer. Um, so, yeah, quick podcast this week to discuss what we've got in the latest issue of Motorcycle News. Um, uh, big issue this week. Um, yeah, lots of sport in there. Lots of sport, yeah. Um, we've got a big story with John McGuinness this week. We do. Um, that's on, at the front of our paper. Um, John has basically broken the news that he has parted company with Honda Racing after a nightmare 2017 yeah. season. Um, it's not yet clear where he's going to go, but he has said he would like to race a 1,000cc superbike at the TT this year if he is fit enough. Yeah. And that is a really big caveat. Um, that broken right leg of his is still in quite a bad way. It's still got an external fixator on it. I know he's had one pin taken out of it, but he's still got several pins still in the leg. Yes. Um, There's a really good interview in the paper with... Um, it's, done, it's been done by uh, our resident TT racer, Adam Child, or, or Chad, as he's more commonly known. Uh, and, and John goes into some some quite gruesome, gruesome. depth. You can call it gruesome. Um, yeah. About the injury. And I think um, the problem is that while he still has the cage on his leg, he's still healing. There's still a huge amount of physiotherapy work to be done yeah. just to get back to fitness. So, so John's, John says he's hoping to get the, the cage off the leg towards the end of January, February. He says the doctors have got a little bit of a different idea, but he's fighting <laughs> with them in, the in true motorbike racer spirit. Um, but once that comes off, he can start training again. And yeah. He's lost a little bit of weight. Um, he has put a little bit back on, actually, because uh, towards the end of last year, John wasn't looking too great. No, he, he didn't look healthy. Quite frail, not very healthy. Like but, he'd lost too much weight. And, and, and if you read this interview, it, it goes into a fascinating detail about how he kind of got a little bit hooked on painkillers, uh, and that wasn't helping him, but his, his wife helped him go cold turkey. Uh, <laughs> and now we're, we're kind of seeing that the John McGuinness we all know and love. Um, so he's confirmed that he is leaving Honda, uh, the, the parted company. Uh, there's a big, big gossip at the minute suggesting he might be riding the Norton next year. Um, but Norton and John have said that's not quite the case yet. They are in conversation, but th- but nothing is by any means done. And John has also said that he's talking to a number of other teams, including Tyco BMW, including Kawasaki. And he's also quite interested in running his own effort. Um, he's got quite he's got some quite big personal backers yeah. in Bet, Bet-, Bet Victor, Monster, yeah. um, and a number of others. So. And he's, he's he's tried that before to an extent. He sort of dabbled with it with the EWC Superstock bike a few yeah. years ago. Yeah. So he knows what he's doing there, and I don't think anyone doubts that John could put together a team quite handily enough. No, so uh, I guess we'll have to watch out for for that in, on the future. I mean, uh, one thing we can say is that it is looking very, very likely that McGuinness will ride the Mugen despite separating from Honda, yes. which which goes some way because we've always had this joke on Mugen insist they aren't part of Honda, but you know it's always the joke that they are. It's run by Mr. Honda's son. Um, but this shows that they aren't that interlinked with Honda because they are keeping McGuinness. And 
for the first time ever, they're expanding mm. to three bikes this year. Yeah. So uh, there should be quite a race between the three of Which them. Which is good. It'll make the electric TT a little bit more interesting to have yeah. three ultra-competitive machines. There. And it, it's not confirmed yet. It'll be confirmed at the, at the Tokyo Motor Show in March. Yeah. Um, but it, uh, Bruce Anstey will no doubt be on one of the bikes. He's won yeah. the last two TT Zero races. And and hot rumour is that Lee Johnston will be the one out of Honda's official wow. lineup on the, the, the Mugen. He's the perfect electric bike racer, isn't he? Because he doesn't, he doesn't weigh anything. <laughs> so now you'll have to, have to keep in touch with MCN for um, the up latest on John McGuinness. Yeah. I'm sure it will be coming in the next weeks, if not months. Um, while you've been writing about McGuinness, I've been in sunny Bologna for the launch of Ducati's MotoGP project. Um, actually different looking motorbikes, which is not something you see very often in factory MotoGP teams anymore. Uh, the pictures don't quite do it justice, because the pictures make it look quite similar to last year's bike. But there's actually no white in the bike anymore. What used to be white is now grey. Um, the rumour is that there's a new title sponsor coming. Um, team boss Paolo Sabati sort of hinted at that. It's looking like, so I've heard some rumours from some of the Italians, that it might be a company called Ixos, who aren't that familiar to most people. They're actually an electric cigarette brand owned by Ducati's former title sponsor, Marlborough, Philip Morris. Um, and obviously there's all sorts of rules nowadays about tobacco advertising and and whatnot, but there's a there's a rumour that that's who's going to be on the bikes. If you look at the Riders Leathers in particular, there's a great big space right above the Ducati logo that's obviously been left for a sponsor. You know, So there's... Might be, might be something a little bit different on those bikes, which would be quite cool to see, actually. A yeah. bit of a change-up in colours. Yeah. The, the the unveiling of the bikes, I think this is interesting, because it's just something that, that I find absolutely pointless. So they invi- <laughs> unveil these bikes, this, this this new 2018 livery. Yeah. But it's basically a 2018 livery, livery on a 2017 bike, because yeah, the 2018 bike's not ready yet, No, is it? and we're not going to see the 2018 bike. We're going to see a version of it in Sepang next week, but... Uh, Gigi Delinia, the technical boss, sort of hinted that it might be the next test to Thailand before we see the proper 2018 wings, which is obviously what's going to make the biggest difference to the bike. What he did say, um, and it sort of surprised a few people, this year's bike is even more powerful than the previous bikes. Um, the Ducati has always been the fastest bike by a long way, but they have lost a little bit of their advantage because of the wings, because it adds more aerodynamic drag. So it's obviously to try and compensate for that. He's also quite confident that the the new wings that they're working for is also going to counter the bike becoming more aggressive with more power. But, you know, we're we're in a position now where I'd imagine if you could ever get a look at the dyno figures for these things, they're making over 300 brake horsepower at the back wheel. Well, I've been told reliably that the Aprilia last year was putting out in the region of 280 horsepower. And the Aprilia's far from the quickest bike in MotoGP, so do the math of what the Ducati's doing. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, um, you know, in terms of the talk from from Dovi and Lorenzo, it's always interesting at team launches because you know riders rock up and it's like, I want to win this year. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, <laughs> Isn't that what you're paid to do? It's hardly the biggest surprise in the world, is it? But the, um, I think it was quite refreshing last year, twelve months ago, to hear Lorenzo saying he didn't want to win the title this year, that it was all a learning year last year, and blah blah blah. Whereas this year now he's very much changed his tune. He thinks he's done his learning, he thinks he's done his homework, and he thinks it's time to win win some races. We'll have to, to see whether he, he, he can or not. I mean, you know, the Ducati's yeah. always been so strong in Qatar, so I, I think we'll find out whether Lorenzo is going to be 
uh, on a race winning, winning package, package relatively early because Lorenzo's strong in Qatar as well. Yeah, of course he is. So uh, you know, we'll, it's a good we'll combination, find out quite isn't it? Soon. Um, on the topic of Lorenzo, by the way, if you've not been on Twitter recently, go and have a look. I don't know what's got into him. <laughs> um, I saw someone suggesting that he might have had someone tweeting for him. As no, a bit it's, of a it's very much Jorge. You can tell. But, yeah, I, th- I think it's Jorge. So, yeah, well, he's, he's decided this week that he's going to answer every fan question that's sent him, and even take a bit of criticism and, and bounce back from yeah, it quite it's, nicely. It's, someone tweeted him earlier to ask if. Uh, the new bike had the mapping it code on it, obviously referring to the team order saga from the end of last year. And uh, it quite wittily told them that it only had five mapping options, one for each world championship. He's won, which I thought was quite good. Actually, I enjoyed that. So it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a giggle to pass your time yeah, before yeah. before the the testing season gets underway. It always um, surprises me a little bit because I think a lot of people think that he's a bit a bit cold and a bit distant. But he's actually um, he's quite a friendly character up close. He's um, you always get a good laugh out of him, and he's quite good at taking the piss on Twitter. Takes the piss out of me quite a bit. Yeah, well, that's um, not that's not Br- hard, Simon. At the British Grand Prix this year, because he had to go and buy his own copy of MCN. <laughs> so he should. <laughs> Someone's got to pay our wages. Um, another thing in the in the in the paper this week, uh, up the front of the paper in a feature, uh, our chief road tester Michael Neves has been testing Triumph's development Moto Two bike. That's a, a real interesting read. Um, you know, we won't we won't dwell on it too much. But I had a quick chat with him about it, and he said he has ridden uh, Honda Moto Two bikes, and he says that they're very dull, very they've not got much poke, um, and you know, uh, whereas this seven six five engine it's it's got a lot of torque, so it's going to be quite interesting. It's going to be quite a development for Moto Two. I uh, said it's a really nice bike to ride. Um, it is of course very stiff, so it's like a stiff Daytona six seven five yes. with a boost in power. But the biggest thing is just how good it sounds. <laughs> There's a video on our Facebook page yeah. it, of a flypast, and thirty of them on a grid are going to sound incredible, Simon. A lot of the people I've spoken to about the new bike reckon that it's actually going to level the field a little bit for uh, production racers. The because it's always been geared, Moto Two is geared for Moto Three, etc., etc. But that this is going to be a lot more like a superbike to ride, and it's going to make things a lot easier for people like, say, Jake Dixon or Taz McKenzie, who are coming across some production bikes. Which you know, I think based on the the history of British motorbike racing and where all of our talent comes from, that's a good thing for the UK. I, I, I have to agree. But the big story this week, Simon, is the 2018 Dakar Rally continues. Absolutely. Um, we, we, we now just have a, a day on that rally left, um, so the victor will be... Well, 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 we'll kind of find out the victor tonight, won't we? And then, Yeah. Because then, the, the, the final stage is a bit of a... Ceremonial. Ceremonial, yeah. But, you know, something could happen, and Absolutely. it is Dakar, so anything could happen. Um, but rather than us talking about it, uh, we've actually got a man on the ground this year. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a tough task covering Dakar. It is. Um, well, we'll let him tell you. Yeah. Um, obviously, apologies for sound quality a little bit, but he is somewhere in a Boston rural Argentina. So yes. That's an excuse. So, whereabouts are you right now? Uh, I'm in Cordoba, which is a pretty big city in Argentina. Uh, we've got a loop stage here, so we're actually here. We arrived this morning. We had a 12... Uh, it was a long long one. We were in a place called San Juan, um, yeah. and then we got an overnight bus. Uh, we left at 10 o'clock, and we got here about half 10 this morning. So <laughs> it was a bit of an ordeal, if I'm totally honest. We had quite a few nights on the buses, uh, but most of them were leaving at midnight, and then you'd arrive into the next bivouac at sort of half six, seven in the morning. So that was quite sort of 
that was quite sort of reasonable, but this one was a, a particularly long one. Um, yeah, no, we're here now. It's roasting hot. And, um, yeah, we're basically waiting for the bikes to arrive. They've, they've done the first part of the special. Nothing massive to sort of report. Kind of um, the guys that need to push are pushing. And the guy, Matthias Walkner, who's in the lead overall, he's kind of doing his thing and dropped six minutes, but he's got half an hour to play with. So, really... We've got a stage this afternoon, which is, is, is fairly sizable, which ultimately, you know, could things could happen on that one. And then we've got a day tomorrow, but the day tomorrow is really kind of a... Um, it's just a bit of a, a, a show, really. Yes. You know, they'll, they'll do, do about 120 kilometres, but the navigation won't be too hard, the stage won't be too hard. It, the idea is that, I think, you know... All things being equal, the result we get at the end of today will should be the result of, of, of the Dakar. Tomorrow's, tomorrow's tomorrow's last stage is a bit like the the last stage of the Tour de France, isn't it? Where they ride into Paris drinking champagne yeah. and and then yeah. the sprinters yeah. put on yeah. a show. You know, there'll be big crowds. There's a lot of passion. I mean, the fans along the route, unbelievable. Bolivia was probably the, the highlight for me from that point of view. The people just coming out, the families coming out, and. Uh, you know, there was a there was we kept, we we stayed in a place called La Paz for the rest day, which is about three and a half thousand meters. So it's a, kind of a, a different world up there. And mm-hmm. um, through the main high street, all the bikes came in at the end of the liaison, and there's bands playing and big grandstands, and the streets are just lined for miles. Um, a couple of the guys said, you know, there were some stages twenty kilometers out of the bivouac. There's thousands of people lying the street, <laughs> 20k's out. So cool. it's, uh, it, they've certainly they certainly been bitten by it in, in South America. There's a lot of passion for it. Fair enough. And obviously, from a from a Brit perspective, this week the big story is Sam Sunderland. And you you were speaking to yeah. Sam, weren't you? Yeah, I spoke with him. Um, I think you know he, he's a good guy, and we've obviously got a good relationship with him. At MC, and we've been working with him for years, so he was very much on side with what we were doing, and we were able to catch up with him, you know, at least once a day, which was which was great. Um, and, you know, and he was having an, an amazing race, and he was, in, he was in good shape. You know, he'd won two out of the first three stages and genuinely didn't appear to be overriding in any shape or form, just seemed to be in, in, in a good place. Um, as you know, I'd been out to um, France to do, see him training and see his preparation and, you know, that man lives for Dakar, you know, he, that, is his, that is his thing, you know, there's a world championship throughout the year, and, and that, that's all the guys, that's not just that, all the, all the guys, you know, there's a world championship, you know, the FIM Cross Country Rally Championship, but that kind of is almost, um, that's like, uh, that's like MRO, and then the real deal is MotoGP, which is the Dakar thing, you know, it, it, it's all about Dakar for these guys, that is what they focus on for the, for the whole year, the, you know, two weeks in South America. And like I say, he was in a really good place. I spoke with him on Wednesday, um, last Wednesday, whilst he was still in Peru. Um, and I've had a few messages with him since. Uh, I think the recovery is going really well. Uh, That's which, good. Which is uh, the, the, the most important thing. Uh, could he have been on for the win? Could he have been in the mix? I think, you know, absolutely. There was no reason why he wouldn't have been able to be um, the front runner. But uh, saying that, as we've seen, a lot of the top guys are out of this year's race, you know, whether it's uh, mainly mainly to injury. You know, there's, there's been some big crashes. Um, 
big crashes that have wiped people out completely, like Adrian Van Beveren, the Yamaha rider, or crashes someone like Joan Breda, Honda's number one man, who has, you know, just basically battered himself into the ground with crash after crash and, you know, finally ending in with concussion and not being able to continue. So it's certainly been a hard rally. There are two Brits still going now, aren't there? Yep, yep, we've got a Lyndon Poskett, who um, is doing a great job. I mean, that man has got some uh, got some capability, got some capacity, rather. You know, he's, he's racing Dakar, which, let's face it, is something that 99.9% of the population couldn't achieve in the first place. He's also doing it in Malay Moto, which is the class where you get no outside assistance. So, essentially, he has a box and his tyres transferred from bivouac to bivouac, but when he gets there, it's down to him to, you know, see himself pitch his tent, but most importantly, ride the bike, do his own work. So those Mallet Moto guys are kind of doing it old school, if you like, and they are, you know, to many people here, they are sort of the heroes of, of the race. Um, but to add to that, Lyndon is doing an incredible job of filming the whole thing. Um, and, you know, there's no question, it's got a, a, a video of a guy with him. Um, he's doing a lot of stuff on GoPro, and he, he certainly has a knack for it. You know, he seems yeah. to get some incredible footage. Uh, and as a result, we've got some good good support. I mean, you know, some of the um, figures he was telling me, you know, he, I think by the time the Dakar's out, he'd have had sort of over a million views on his... Um, on his YouTube channel, which is uh, pretty amazing, really. It's looking that way. They've been really keeping an eye on it on social media. From here, it's been really popular and yeah. it's been cropping up all over the place, and it's good. And he's really, like yeah, you say, he's an actual storyteller. And um, so I couldn't quite hear what you said there, Simon. But um, and just on the, on the subject of the bridge, you've also got Matt Tun, who again he's doing a you know just incredible job. You know, there are a lot of people now. No question, this is a very very tough Dakar. Um, but Max is absolutely grinding it out, and um, I think he's proving, to be fair to him, you know, I'm catching up with these guys on a daily basis, and um, he's sort of, you know, he's sucking it up and, and, and getting on with it, but, you know, last year, his first year, he finished 52nd, and he's now running in the 30s, which um, I think if he can finish in the 30s, he'd be absolutely delighted. And he's obviously got the other complication, so he's three-month-old son here, which... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's quite a crazy one. But, uh, yeah, no, it's fair to say the, the, the Brits are definitely delivering. Absolutely. And you've done Dakar before, haven't you? And uh, you were saying to us earlier that it's very, very different now to when you were last there. So, you know, what's changed? Um, yeah, no, so I covered the race in 2013, which was very much in the height of the uh, Mark Coma Civil Defray era. So they were both KTM riders. And they were clearly a step above everyone else. You know, they had they had incredible support from KTM, and they were just they were just better. They were more rounded riders. They had the speed. They had the navigation. They were the only guys that could kind of lead open a stage and potentially win from a stage. Yeah, people like Brady were there, and Brady would sneak a stage win, but he never seemed to have the sort of capacity to be able to sort of run with those guys over a two-week event. The change now, I think, is, is the level of rider. It's no longer about two guys. You know, we said it in our previews before. There's, 
there's 10 guys out here that, that, could, that could win. Uh, 10 guys uh, have got the speed. And, you know, when I say speed, you know, we're talking about people that have, you know, Antoine Mayo, a KTM rider, is a four-time world enduro champion. You know, we're not talking about people that are just a little bit good at motocross or a little bit good at enduro that have turned their hand to Dakar. And these are absolutely elite riders. Uh, and I, I think you've really seen that this year in the sort of attrition rate of the top guys in the way that there's been some big crashes, big injuries, and big names that are out. Um, and I think largely that is down to how they're riding. I think, you know, there were, you go back five years, maybe, you know, ten years ago, I think it was, there was a, they were a bit more conservative. For sure they pushed when they needed to, but I think overall there was sort of, grinding through the stages, doing a good job. Whereas now, they're trying, they are pushing so, so hard every single stage because they know that they're not just competing against one other rider. If they have a bad day, they're going to be 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th in the standings because the quality of rider is, is so, so high. And I think one of the reasons they're able to do that is to the bike. I think that's another another thing I've really noticed now is that they you know taking them that have previously dominated the event they've been they've been the benchmark but even KTM were compelled to build a brand new bike for the 2018 Dakar because there's no doubt they can see that Honda are getting closer the Yamaha were getting closer you know Sherco are here Gas Gas are here um but I think, you know, really, it's about Yamaha, Honda, and, and KTM. And Honda, you know, the Honda, I was just saying to you guys earlier, you know, the Honda project is it's immense. You know, they've got about 30-something 30, 30 people on the ground here in Dakar. But I've been told by the team technical manager that there are 200 people in Japan HRC star full time working on the Dakar project. After MotoGP, Dakar is the most important project within HRC, which is incredible. You know, yeah. for them to be investing that that sort of amount of resources. Um, and you know, there's no question that KTM have had to respond. Normally, KTM build a bike and then they also make it available to privateer teams. Uh, this year, for the first time. They've absolutely focused on building their pure prototype race bike. Um, and they will build a customer bike, but that customer bike can come on, be available much later in the year. Um, and Yamaha, even though Yamaha is not an official Japan project, it is a Yamaha Europe project. Unlike KTM and Honda, they do start with their bike as a, uh, an enduro bike and then modify it, change it into a rally bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as we've seen, you know, there's there's no, they don't seem to be lacking anything. You know, they, they, they've come up with a bike, you know, Van Beveren had won four phases, I think, and was leading the race when he unfortunately crashed out. So, you know, the level of the Yamaha is absolutely top-notch, you know, on, on par with the, Yamaha, with the Honda and the KTM. Yeah, and, you know, despite that effort from both Honda and Yamaha, it looks like KTM might take a, a 17th straight win. Yeah, which is incredible. Um, <laughs> I mean, my kind of take on that is it's not done yet, firstly. You know, it could, it could change. It's Dakar. All sorts of things happen. They've got a reasonably long stage this afternoon. But 
for sure they're looking good. I, and I think one of their, for, for me, you know, I'm not, I'm not a team manager, but the way I sort of see it is, um, KTM come, they've got a force in numbers. You know, they've got, they've got four full, four or five full factory bikes, and they've got four or five riders that can win it. You know, and they all go into it equal. And obviously, as the valley shakes up, maybe some preference is given to them in the later stages of the race. So, you know, this year, um, Sam Sunderland, Dakar number one, guy that was leading the race, that won two out of the first three stages, you know, he unfortunately had the big compression, injured his back, was out. But they've still got Toby Price. They've still got Antoine Mayo. They've still got uh, Matthias Walkner. You know, they, they've still got this, this, this quality, whereas someone like Honda do seem to certainly put their eggs in the Juan Barada basket. Um, and when he was out, the attention obviously turns to uh, Kevin Benavides, who, don't get me wrong, Benavides is, is a big hitter within the team. But what I'm try- my point is I'm trying to make is that HM just have that many more riders that can win. They know that not all of their guys are going to get to the finish because that's where Dakar is now. Um, you know, and, and looking at Yamaha, Yamaha had started off with four riders, but it's like no riders. All of those guys are out. Yeah. You know, so it's, um, yeah, KTM seems to have played it, played it right again, yet again, which is, you know, 17, 17 consecutive wins, if they do do it this year, is, is something, I don't know, I, I can't think of many times that sort of record has been repeated in top-level motorsport. No, nor I. It's not many places that happens. Perfect. Michael, we'll let you get back to uh, waiting on the bikes coming in. Thanks for talking to us. No, thank you. Good to uh, good to catch up, guys. Um, yeah, I look forward to listening to it. I've seen a bit out of the loop with what's happening in the rest of the world with DSB, WSB, MotoGP. So, uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, getting up to speed with that a bit later. <laughs> we'll see you back in a chilly UK next week. Yeah, can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know if I could cover Dakar. <laughs> yeah, it makes um, airport lounges and nice British Airways flights look quite relaxed, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I, if, if, if you're not keeping up with it, uh, Michael's been keeping a, a diary of his uh, Dakar trip on Twitter. He's at MichaelGuy01. And it, it, the journalists following it, uh, I mean, I wouldn't quite uh, equate it to what the riders are going through. No. But it, it, you, it's quite a rigmarole to, to follow well, a race through three different countries. So I, have, I have a friend who's covering it, a photographer. And uh, they've shipped a Jeep over. They've kitted it out for off They've shipped the Jeep over. And that's their base. A group of four of them, that's their base for the week. And they were telling me, you know, they do all the miles that the racers do. And at, not quite at the same speeds, but they get to the bivouac at the night, the racers get their dinner provided to them and go and sleep in their nice motorhomes, whereas the guys are putting up tents. And It's hard going for everyone. I'm I'm kind of glad I'm not there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fair, fair play to, to Michael Guy for that. And we're not just saying that because he's our boss. Of course not. Of course not, Ollie. So, <laughs> as we alluded to at the start of the podcast, uh, we're, we're getting quite giddy because we are going to see some motorbikes <laughs> next week, um, which means you can read about motorbikes next week. So uh, Tuesday, Wednesday is the 
first World Superbike test of the year. Um, it is the first of two European preseason tests before they all ship off to Australia. Because don't forget, the World Superbike Championship starts really early. So, in just over a month, we will have the first races <laughs> of the year. How exciting nice, is that? And Philip Island World Superbike is, whatever you think about World Superbike, Philip Island World Superbike is always a cracker. Yeah. And I've been having a conversation with someone recently, and I, I won't say it because we're going to stick it in the paper, um, but I, I know someone that is eyeing the big trophy at Phillip Island, and it's not quite who you'd not expect. Not you'd expect, no. Um, we should have a little bit of a special guest on next week's podcast. We should have a special guest on next week's podcast, but we Well, we've got a few, actually, next week if we play cards right, because I might get a little bit of time with uh, some Italian guy that's won nine world championships at their team launch on Wednesday. So we'll try and drop a bit of Valentino Rossi and Maverick Vignales in. We've got a secret special guest that we can't announce until a little bit later. No, we? we will reveal we'll that reveal next, all week. next week. Um, and, and you've then, got some... You're actually going to watch motorbikes. We're going to watch motorbikes, so if you want to keep, keep, in, touch, keep in touch with what's going on out in Hereth, just check the Motorcycle News website, yeah. com or our MCN Sport Twitter handle. Yeah. Um, if not, pick up... Next week, well, not, not not next week's motorcycle news, but yeah. the week after. The week after. after. Well, you can We've pick up next week's motorcycle news as well. Yeah, no, please do. There's plenty <laughs> in it. There's plenty in it. Uh, what have we got coming up next week, actually? Well, um, um, obviously, we've had some breaking MotoGP news this week with the announcement that Jonas Folger isn't fit to ride next this season, thanks to uh, continuing illness. So I'm just literally just off the phone to Hervé Pontreal before I come in here. So we've got a nice update on what Tech 3 are looking at from Hervé going in from me. Uh, the final of the Dakar coverage from Michael and... I think you've got some... Yeah, I've got a couple of features in this week. Um, there's, a, there's an interview with Jake Dixon and Danny Buchan, who, if you're on Instagram during BSB weekends, will know are a... Well, they're, they're, ap- they're, they're a the pair, of, brothers. pair of lunatics. <laughs> yes. Um, so I was volunteered to go and do a feature with the pair of them. and uh, You survived? Well, my hairline is, is significantly <laughs> further back. But, you know, there's a, a really cool interview with them. And there is actually some BSB news in there this week, if Ooh. you're looking for that sort of thing. The next rider is confirmed on the grid, oh. so go and take a look at that next week. Um, and there's also a feature at the, at the front of the paper with the three Laverty brothers. Oh, yes, of course. Um, which is we, we, an interesting one. It's looking a little bit different. Yeah. kind of went and sat down with the three of them because I can't think of another a trio of racing not brothers. Not a trio, no, not brothers. There's a few families where there's, like, two brothers and a cousin, like uh, ooh, the Nietos. But not three brothers in the same family who are all top-level racers. So there's there's an interesting interview there as well. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, We'll be back with you next week. Cheers, guys.